Thank you, Carmen. What a wonderful message and song. Have you come to know the love of Jesus Christ? He loves you. As he was dying on the cross, he had you in his heart, on his mind. He died for your sin and took the punishment that you deserve. Paid the price that you could never pay. He was buried and he rose again. And he loves you and he wants to forgive you of your sin that you have sinned against him. He wants to give you everlasting life. He's the only one who can. And he will because he loves you. For those of us who come to know the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, we delight in his goodness today. And uh, may we walk in that love. May he be our confidence. May he be our comfort. Too often we turn to friends. Too often we turn uh, to our resources and other things for hope and for answers instead of turning first and mainly to our Savior. This morning you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's where we're going to wind up looking at some of the biblical admonitions as the Bible there describes a godly and mature love. But I'm actually going to make several other statements this morning concerning marriage, concerning love, concerning purity. And I trust that this will be a help to all of us this morning. Two days from now is Valentine's Day. Hey guys, you're welcome for the hint. All right. Uh, I really enjoyed watching uh, the pictures this morning, the wedding pictures, and then the now pictures. Pretty cool, isn't it? It's been a lot of fun to watch that. And, and around here, we honor uh, godly marriages. We honor those who've been faithful and have stayed married uh, for the many years. We have a plaque in our uh, foyer, and uh, it's for those who've been married for 50 years or longer. And we want to honor those who have stood by commitments uh, to stay married for Jesus said in Mark chapter 9 what God hath joined together let not man put asunder marriage is an institution ordained by God today we reflect on marriage to learn how to love in a way that is pleasing to God Oxford dictionary defines love as a profoundly tender passionate affection for another person Dictionary.com defines it as an intense feeling of deep affection. But the Bible goes much further in its instruction of what love is and how we are to love. Now, before we get to that, there are some basic statements that I'm going to make about marriage this morning. The first is this, that God's word declares two genders, male and female. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through the beginning of verse 28, the Bible says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them, male and female. Created he them. And God blessed them and said, God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Amen. Folks, we live in a day of confusion. And this multitude, this plethora of genders. And as people talk about that, and as you scratch your head and you just wonder how this definition of a gender is different than that definition of another gender. You realize it's not of God, for the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 that God is not the author of confusion. And here, it is so so vividly illustrated that that God is not the author of confusion. He says, God created two genders, male and female, man and woman. And God's word also defines marriage as a lifelong covenant between one human man, a male, and one human woman, a female. 
Say, why in the world would you put human in there, Pastor Todd? We know human. (laughs) Our culture doesn't. You watch. Pretty soon people are going to be identifying as penguins and giraffes and lions and hyenas and everything else. And more moral perversions than we even see in the public arena are going to become a reality as people identify as all sorts of things. But God's word declares two genders, man and woman, male and female, and that marriage is only between one human man, a male, and one human female, a woman. Genesis 2, 18, and the verses 21 to 25 declare it this way. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. So what companion did God create? Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. And the next statement is this, that God's word approves sexual expressions of love only between a man and his wife. Hebrews 13, 4 declares, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And then the next statement right next to that is this, that God's word prohibits all other sexual activity, including thoughts and actions, whether you are married or unmarried. Listen to these verses, please. The Bible clearly states in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 7, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Many of you have heard, it comes from the root word in the Greek, pornea, where we get the English word pornography. It covers, it would include adultery, but it covers, it's a general term, including all sexual sin. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, and also we, as we have forewarned you and testified, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Grace is not license. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall the we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We are commanded to crucify the flesh with the affections and lust, not celebrate it. Matthew 5, 27 and 28, Jesus said, Ye have heard that it is said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That, by the way, is one of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus said, I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The Bible tells us the thought of the wicked is sin. God counts immoral, lustful fantasizing to be sin. Pornography is sin. Allowing your mind to fantasize on any sexual ideas or to view them or meditate on them other than only thinking about your spouse is sin, period. 
1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Lock, stock, and barrel. You're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's in any sexual activity, whether it's a fantasy of the mind and the heart or a physical action outside the bonds of marriage, displeases God and it is sin. And you are taking God's body and God's mind and doing that which God forbids with what he owns if you're a born-again believer. And now we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and maybe a little bit more positive view as we look at verses 4 to 8 and what godly and mature love is. Now I understand that this is between brothers and sisters in Christ in the sense that we are commanded to love one another. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Matter of fact, the Bible commands us to husbands love your wives. We read that in Ephesians 5. You say, are women ever commanded to love their husbands? Indirectly in Titus, Paul tells Titus, have the older women teach the younger women to love their own husbands. And so we, yes, we are to love one another within the bonds of marriage. We are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ with godly, pure, holy love. We are to love the lost, unbelievers around us with the compassion of Christ. Most of all, we have to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and with our mind. When it comes to loving one another, and even within as we are kind of looking at the theme of this marriage, love, let's look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8. Charity, the Greek word agape, the highest form, if you would put it that way, of love, is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not, itself is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. We could actually do a series on these verses. I'm not going to do that this morning. All right? But what I would like to do is to still some statements that I hope the Spirit of God will use to stick in your heart and mind to transform the way that husbands, the way you love your wives, wives, the way that you love your husbands, believers, the way you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And even as we face those who have chosen to stand against us and make themselves our enemies, and hopefully the reason they've chosen that is because our first love and loyalty is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they have chosen to be our enemies because we stand for Christ. May these truths help us. These statements distilled this morning. Love suffereth long. Love has long-term patience and kindness. Kindness literally translates to show one's self useful or to be benevolent. It is kind to serve. It is kind to observe others' needs and seek to meet those needs. 
It is kind to show yourself useful towards somebody by serving them. The Bible says that love doesn't envy. It is not, it is not possessive or demanding. Love is giving and self-sacrificing. Jesus exemplifies that for us in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible tells us in John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man, what? Lay down his life for his friends. Love is giving. Love is self-sacrificing. Love is not possessive and demanding. The Bible goes on here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to also tell us that love is not boastful. Nor does it hold an inflated opinion of self. I'm the head of this home. I'm just going to tell you how we're going to run things around here. We need to be careful of things like that. Right? Right? Or having an overinflated opinion of ourselves. The Bible says, let each esteem other better than themselves. And then the Bible says, love does not delight, or excuse me, love is not easily exasperated. And it does not assume as worthless or injurious intentions of others. The Bible says, tells us that it is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. So it's not easily exasperated. That's a little translation of that word. And it does not assume as worthless or injurious the intentions of others. And when it talks about that, that word as the idea of to keep or to hold on to a record. So those assumptions could be based on the past. And I give you this little warning. Be careful of self-inflicted prejudices based on suspicious tally-keeping habits why for you suspicious of your husband because of character issues in his past husband are you suspicious of your wife and when something comes up you jump to conclusions making an assumption based on the past if you find yourself in that habit then you need to ask the question have you truly forgiven because according to the biblical definition of forgiven the idea is to release from a debt and to not bring that up again. Love does not delight in evil, but in the truth. Love is on the side of what God declares is right and good. And then I love this. Love never faileth. It literally translates, love does not drop away or is driven off one's course. Especially when it comes to the marriage relationship. Love never fails. Godly, mature love is not driven off the course of faithfulness and of hope and of expectation and of serving it does not drop away. It's not driven off one's course. It does not give up. It does not quit. Notice I didn't say divorce. Because there may be people watching by way of live stream or even some people in this auditorium. You are in a marriage where you have quit. 
To some extent, you have given up hope that your relationship will ever be stronger than it is right now or that that person will change or that you will ever change or that the situation will ever change. And you've given up investing and doing your best by God's grace to be the spouse that God calls you to be. You've gotten driven off course. Maybe you feel it's just not worth it. Maybe you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you're ready to give up. Hey, look, biblical, godly, mature love never fails. Aren't you glad that God's love for us never fails? And he is our example. And we are to love one another. So what's the admonition this morning from the message? Several. I want to stop for a minute and talk to those who are unmarried. I want to talk to teenagers. I want to talk to young adults who are single. And I want to give you this admonition. Keep your heart, mind, and body morally pure. And that takes a lot of work in this age. But it is not impossible. You see, you invest in your future marriage so that you can enjoy a spiritually healthy, vibrant marriage. Fornication warps your thinking and your expectation. It burdens you with guilt. It erodes trust. And what I've said also applies to married folks. The greatest gift that you can give to your potential spouse is not an expensive ring or a lot of money saved to get started in your future. It is a pure mind, a pure heart, a pure body. Say, Pastor Todd, what if I've already blown it? Hey, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repent, be changed, and commit yourself to being pure and holy in your heart. And mind. You say, Pastor Todd, I've had a battle with this for years in my thinking or with attitudes or in at certain activities. God's grace is greater than your struggle. Keep being obedient. Let God cleanse you. But I want to say this to those of you that are unmarried, that are looking towards the possibility of marriage. I believe to the extent of your purity will be the extent of joy you will have in your marriage. Be becoming one in marriage. And I'm not just talking about physically. I'm talking about the two become one and you are sharing all of life. There are a lot of tough adjustments in marriage already. But when you bring baggage into that marriage because you've not been obedient to keep yourself pure, you really hinder that adjustment period and that time. And sometimes the struggles and the difficulties in that relationship will go on for a long, long time. Now, God's grace is greater, but don't assume on the grace of God. God's way is best. And when God says, flee fornication, follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, please invest in your future marriage. Or maybe for those of you that are dating and that person whom you're dating, what if you don't end up marrying them? 
If you are both heeding the biblical admonition and you're only dating somebody who's also a born-again believer and they marry somebody else, are you investing in that person and in their marriage? You see, love gives, love sacrifices. Love is not demanding and selfish. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, love your own husbands. Let me tell you, ladies, one of the greatest dangers that you might face to be tempted towards unfaithfulness in your marriage is to become more impressed with some other man than your husband. Watch out for that. You love your own husband. You do all you can to help him be like Christ in love. Not preaching at him and not nagging him. But lovingly encouraging him and praying for him and serving him and doing what you can to invest in him. And work on the marriage that you have. And don't begin to fantasize or to think or to admire about some other man. For you are setting yourself in a very dangerous area to be attacked by temptation. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. All of us, let's love God enough to obey his word and walk in holiness. Let's take a loving but firm stand on marriage. You say, Pastor Todd, what if a gay couple walked in or somebody that was one of these transgender things? How would we treat them with the love of Christ? And we would want to share the gospel with them. And we would want to love them and we would want to reach them and we would want to get to know them, but we would never condone their sin. But we're going to love them and we are going to reach them. And let me tell you something. When boys and girls are being told that if they have different kinds of things happening like hormonal things and all of these different things, Uh, kind of things and even physical operations to change their physical appearance to identify as a different gender and that that is to be admired and is even heroic. And later on as adults, when their life has been wrecked and ruined by sin, they're going to be searching for answers and they're going to be searching for what love really is. And they're going to be searching for some help and we the church better be ready. And we never know where a person is And you know what? We love them with the love of Christ. And you know what? We are sinners saved by grace. And let me tell you, God hates adultery and God hates fornication just as he hates any of these other sexual perversions. It's all perversion because none of it fits God's intended purpose of love within marriage. So we need to be ready. And we need to be pure. And we need to have godly marriages. And we need to exemplify godly marriages to our children. And we need to encourage our children to be pure and to save themselves for their marriage and to invest in their marriages. So let me give you this as a loving but strong admonition. We're not going to compromise on our position on what God says is marriage. We're not going to change our definition of what love is because God clearly defines it. Instead, we're going to practice the biblical pattern and precepts of love within our marriages, within this church, and within our community for the glory of God. But let me get back to the beginning of all of this. We really 
cannot love the way that God intends us to love until we first experience the love of Christ in salvation. So maybe there's somebody here, somebody watching by way of live stream. There's never been that time in your life when you've recognized and acknowledged that you have sinned against God. You've committed crimes against God's law that have earned you the penalty of eternal death and hell forever. You've never come to that place where you've recognized and acknowledged in your heart and soul that Jesus loves you. He really did die on the cross for you. He did, really did rise again. It's not just some sort of religious theory or some historic fable. It is reality, and it's personal. Jesus loves you. He died and rose again for you. And so you've never turned to him by faith, through prayer, calling on him, acknowledging your sin and your guilt, asking him to forgive you and cleanse you of your sin and to give you eternal life. You've never put your trust in him so that you can have a relationship with him forever. You need to do that today. Not so that you can love better, but so that you can experience the love of Christ and salvation. But when you do, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and God will transform your life. He changes your eternity, and he transforms your life through the truth of his word by making you a new creation. But it all starts in experiencing the love of Jesus Christ, letting him forgive you of your sin, letting him save your soul, putting your faith in him. You say, Pastor Todd, is it that simple? Yes. Why did God make it that simple? Because he's not willing any should perish. He wants all to be forgiven. He wants all to have eternal life. He loves you. Would you accept his gift? Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's love one another with a godly, mature life, love after the image of the life of Christ. And within our marriages, as we even see in Ephesians 5, Christ modeled love in the church and, and shows a picture of the mystery, the bond between the church and Christ and there ought to be reflected in our marriages. So what we're talking about is not some man-made institution. This is ordained of God. It has spiritual implications. So let's love biblically. Shall we bow our heads? In a moment, we'll have our pianist come and play a hymn of invitation. We will have a come forward invitation this morning. And this is the invitation. If you are not yet married, but you have never made the commitment, I am going to covenant before God and commit to keep myself pure, not only in what I do with my body, but in where I allow my mind and my heart to go. Or maybe you need to repent of that and make things right. Or you just want to commit to doing that for the rest of your life till God has you married. Then I'd encourage you to come this morning and kneel and just spend a few moments at the altar and pray about that. Maybe this morning as couples, you want to come and kneel and pray and commit your marriage to the Lord. Maybe you're just going to stand there while the rest of us are standing with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and the music is playing. And you're going to commit to the Lord what he has worked in your heart this morning and part of that commitment needs to be then have a talk with your spouse and share what God did in your heart with them and make yourself accountable to them. 
Maybe for some of you it is you need to come forward. I'll be down here in the front and just let me know, Pastor Todd, I have not received the gift of eternal life. I want to experience the love of Jesus Christ today. We'll have someone take the word of God and take you to a quiet place and show you the way of salvation from God's word. It'll only take a few minutes. It's very simple. And you can call on Christ and you can know his forgiveness. You can accept him and and know his love and enter into an eternal relationship with him today. Heavenly Father, now we pray that you would do work only you can do. Lord, we, we want to honor you by submitting to your truth and by clearly declaring what your word is declared about marriage and about love. Lord, we live in such a lustful, wicked, and perverted world. And living in holiness and in purity with a spirit of humility will shine as a brilliant light of the gospel in a very dark world. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our marriages because they are an illustration of our relationship with you, the Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray for our young people that they would keep themselves pure and they would repent of any uh, unholiness in their life and commit to being faithful and even make themselves accountable so they can get that help. And Lord, we pray for those who have not received the gift of eternal life and come to know your love in a personal way that even today would be the day of their salvation in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed. Would you stand with me? Our pastors will be at the front aisles. Would you come? Do business with God today.